Now listen, I'm in part three of a series called Unstuck. Uh, get your notes out, get your phones out, but turn them on airplane mode because you don't want the devil texting you. You know what I'm talking about right in the middle of the message. No notifications from any person or thing. I really believe, I told Phyllis, this message is going to change lives. I really believe this whole series, you know, I, I know you got something last weekend and the weekend before. If you didn't, you got to go back and, and watch it. Uh, but we're in this series. The whole premise came from what we're experiencing with COVID-19. Yeah, I realize that in this season, well, people always in life tend to get stuck. But in this season, I have found that more people have been stuck than I've ever seen in my entire life. Now, I'm not that old, so that doesn't say a lot, right? I'm only like 22, you know. I was going to wear my Jordans today, but they were pink and I didn't want them to pop you in the face and not hear the word. You know, so I'm so young. I'm not saying I got that much life. At, but, but what I am saying is this. I've never seen so many people stuck. It's like COVID snuck up on us. It's, it's like the vacation mentality that never went away. Right. I remember the last weekend in March, I said, hey, looking forward. We'll go see each other in a couple weeks. It's all good. My mentality has only been two weeks. Now, when you're on vacation, I mean, no, you got a different mentality than when it's normal life. I ain't doing the things that I do normally uh, in, in, on vacation that I do in life. Listen, in vacation, I'm sleeping late. Come on. That's right. I'm sleeping about 10 or 11. I wake up. I'll, I'll eat, eat a little bit of lunch and then I'm going back to take a nap and lay in bed. I may watch a movie. I might even watch two. Then I'm going to snuggle up with Phyllis and someone will say, what happened to kids? I don't care as long as they're breathing. Why? Because we are on vacation. Right. It's, I, I can't live that way. I'm going to be that way on vacation. Well, I mean, that's really what's happened with COVID is we thought it was just going to be short term. And what happened is it wasn't short term. It now has become a lifestyle. And what are we compromised thinking it's not forever? Now we've got habits. And you thought, well, I'll just do this. And now your habits have got you. You've tried to break them, but you can't. You started to go back to the old ways of thinking and being. And you remember those things God delivered you from? You started going back to. And now you're trapped and you're stuck and you, you feel hopeless. I want you to know there is hope. That just because you're stuck doesn't mean you're stranded. That God's got a way for you to get out of the mess that you're in. In fact, this whole series today is all about that because he needs you to get out of your mess so you can help those who are around you to get out of their mess. And we've been in Acts chapter 27, verse 28, it's the story of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he gets shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Now, the story, I'm just going to summarize it. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. And I just want to share some truth that I really believe is going to touch you uh, in a powerful way. I think it's going to transform many of you. So here, Paul, we find him. He's shipwrecked. Now, he's a prisoner because he's been preaching the gospel. And uh, while he's in prison, he's talking to the king and uh, Agrippa and, and then uh, the other guy, Felix. The governor Felix, and he's saying, listen, he's making a case, and then he makes an appeal to Caesar. And because he makes an appeal to Caesar, uh, the governor and the king said, well, now you've got to go to Rome. You've got to go to Caesar. And so Paul finds himself on a ship as a prisoner headed to Italy. And when he goes on this voyage, he's in the sea, and they come across a storm. Now, Paul tried to give the sailor, the captains, and all the people, the guards, tried to tell him, look, there's, there's trouble ahead, but they didn't listen. 
How many ever got people that, that you try to warn them of the trouble that's ahead, not only in their life, but possibly yours? And they don't listen. Well, that's where Paul finds himself. And I think it's actually comical because uh, here in this, he, he actually has, I told you so mentality. Anybody got a, I told you so? How many tell your spouse so? I told you so. You know, you got, I, I think it's funny because Paul tells him, look, I told you we were going to be in this situation. But the cool thing is that though he's in that situation, an angel came from God and gave a message and said, hey, Paul, listen, you're going to make it. That you, you're not going to die. You're not going to make it with anything but your lives, but you're going to make it. So he tells the, the people on the boat, the captain, the guards, and he says, hey, listen, we're going to make it, but we got to all stick together. And then we know the story. If you haven't read it, I want you to go back and read it. They actually run aground, they're shipwrecked, and now they find themselves and they're stranded on this island called Malta. And that's where I want to pick up on in verse 5. That once they have got onto the shore, they start to build a fire. And so Paul goes out, he picks up a bunch of sticks. And in verse 5 it says, but Paul, well let me give you a little bit of what happened. Uh, when he threw some sticks in the fire, a snake bites him. How many have ever found yourself doing something good and the enemy attacks? Yeah, it's usually when he attacks, like Paul wasn't being dumb, he wasn't doing anything bad, he was doing some good things, trying to help himself and help people, and that's when the enemy attacked him. And so here we see a shake, a snake, a shake, come on, I, woo. see that's that Corona, that's that vacay, give me a chocolate shake, come on somebody, we'll shake that shake off. So he shakes the snake off into the fire and look at what it says. He suffered no ill. Uh, and, and I love that because even though the enemy attacks doesn't mean he'll win. You don't have to agree with the enemy's opinion. Come on, somebody, because you think just because he attacked you. Well, he attacked your business. I'm going to lose my business. Who are you agreeing with, God or the devil? You ain't going to lose your business. I don't care what the economy looks like. I'm a tither. I'm a giver. I'm not subject to what happens to most people. And so here it says he's, he suffers no ill effects and says the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him. And, and I think this is another thing. You're living up to everyone else's expectations. So that's a whole nother message. Look, nothing happens to him. They changed their mind and said he was a God. So here's what's cool. What the enemy meant for evil to kill him, God uses it to give him credibility. God uses it to cause his status in life to go up. Why? Because what would have normally killed others didn't do anything to Paul. And because of that, look, it says there was an estate nearby that belonged to, I was going to say his name, but I said it wrong last week. So I'm going to let you say his name. Everybody say that name. One, two, three. Yeah, that's what I thought. The chief official, we're going to go with Publius. Come on, somebody. The chief, the chief official of the island. That's what I'm going to go with. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. It says he welcomed us to his home and he showed us generous hospitality for three days. So he's got credibility. He's now in a place that he would have never been otherwise. Come on, your pain is going to position you for your purpose. That'll preach right there. It says his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him prayed for him, placed his hands on him, and the healing power of God restored him. Just like that. 
It says then now what happens is the rest of the sick on the island, they come to Paul and he prays for them and they're cured. And they honored us in many ways. And when they were ready to sell, they furnished us with supplies after three months. And that's where the first message came from. Are you ready? When Paul was ready, uh, then, then they provided the supplies they need to get off the island. And so here what we see is that because of Paul's response, because of Paul's ability to handle adversity in the right way because he didn't react, but he responded. We see that God does something absolutely amazing in his life. And so the question that I've really been thinking about is this, you know, how did Paul do it? Right. It's good to read the Bible, but I don't want to just read about it. I want to know and understand how to live it out. Like, like, how did he do it? Because I know this. Listen, if I'm getting in the sea for 14 days and hadn't eaten in 14 days, I'm hangry. And if an angel talks to me, I ain't telling you anyway, because I already told you so. I told you not to go. And so I'm just going to keep God. Well, I'm going to be a lot. You know, I'm just going to get a little angry. Come on, somebody a little bitter. Come on. Come on. You got a little salty, you know, and then I'm going to get shipwrecked. Now I'm stuck on a place that though it's pretty is my prison. Look, look, just one man's paradise is another man's prison. So I'm like, what? I'm not even supposed to be here. Then I'm doing good things. I joined the dream team. Come on, somebody. Pastor said, go to next steps. Start serving. I start serving. The enemy bites me. So it bites him. And now you're like, good night. I mean, you know, worse just keeps getting worse and worse. I mean, it's just like, and so think about how you would respond. Because I know you read this and you're like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You think, oh, that's how I'd respond. Come on, really? Like that person just said something rude to you on Instagram and you went off and you think a snake bites you and you ain't going to go off. Right. I mean, so so we put it into context. And so here we have Paul. He's not bitter. He's not angry. He's not offended. He's not resentful. He actually has said, look, I'm going to not only comply with God's will, but I'm going to embrace it. See, there's a difference between embracing God's will and compliance. See, you can comply. Have you ever had that kid that's, they're like, sit down. They's, no, sit, sit down. No, stand up. So, all right, I'll sit down. But on the inside, I'm standing up. <laughs> right? That's compliance. That's what a lot of you do with God. Okay, God, I'll do what you said if you're going to make me. Right? That's compliance. God ain't looking for compliance. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for submission. He's looking for you to say, I'm going to embrace the will of God for my life, whether you like it or not. He didn't ask your opinion. But here's what I know, that whatever happens, no matter how bad, if you have the right spirit, the right heart, the right mindset, God will flip the script. He'll turn it around and he'll use it to do a divine setup for your purpose. Because you got to look at it. You look at Paul, you say, man, is he superhuman? I mean, does he have a tape? You know, does he leap tall buildings with one single bound? Come on, is he legendary like Marvel? I mean, come on, somebody like, that's how we look at the heroes of the faith that are in the Bible. No, he ain't superhuman. He's normal. He's just like you. In fact, you just put your name right there. Yeah, but he did all these things. The reason he did the things we write about is because he learned the secret of life. God has a 
book to write for you. God has a story that he's wanting to write with you joining in partnership with him that will change not only your life, but the lives of those around you. And you've got to learn to partner with God and say, God, I am going to join you as you write this story. Look at Philippians chapter four, verse 12 and 13. It's amazing. You know, I was reading this. I'm telling you, I've been studying this whole concept of unstuck. And it's amazing. I've quoted this scripture, but I missed a portion that caused me to not experience the total power and transformation of God in my life. Philippians 4, verse 12 through 13 says, I know, what does he say? How to live. Everybody say how to live. So Paul knows how to live. I think some of you know how to exist. God didn't call us just to exist. Oh, but I'm going to make it into heaven. Can I tell you that's not the goal of life? Look, your eternity once you're saved is already secure. Check, that's done. Thank you, Jesus. Your goal is to live your life to the fullest. I don't care the haters say, oh, he say live your best life. Listen, you need to go live your best life. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your best life. You say, well, what do you mean, pastor? Does that mean it's always going to be easy? No, it wasn't always easy for Paul, but it was his best life. It was a life full of purpose. Don't get confused your best with easy. Ain't nothing worth having is ever easy. But it will be your best. It will be significant if you will learn how to live. Look, look what he says. I've learned how to live on almost nothing or with everything. What a contrast of ideas. What a contrast of experiences. What, what a dichotomy. Think about this. This is how some of you are right now. You ain't got nothing. I've been there. I'll never forget Phyllis and I, when we were at the lowest point I've ever been, I had 10 cents in my pocket. I just lost my business. Had three jobs just to try to stay afloat. My gas tank was on empty. But I was a tither. Ten cents in my pocket, heading to go wait tables at Texas Roadhouse. I knew there was something special about that place. It's more than the rolls. And I said, God, if I could just get to there, just don't let me run out of gas. I don't want to lose my job. And you know what? I have no idea. My, my gas tank was not only at empty, it was below. How many, some of you ladies drive below empty. You know what I'm talking about? You live on that supernatural all the time. <laughs> so I know what it's like to have nothing, but I was a tither. God don't, no, 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 God don't. I, I make a demand on your blessing. And listen, I didn't run out of gas. From that moment on, God has blessed me. It was a turnaround moment. Why? Because I didn't let what I have dictate what God would do. And then he says everything. That's some of you in this place right now. You're wealthy. You're rich by the world's standards. You've got everything. You've reached the pinnacle of your career. I mean, you've got it all. But the problem is without God, it's worthless. And you thought you had it. But now the problem is it has you. Mm. So he said, look, both situations, I, I know what it is to live. I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. There's a secret. Paul, there's a secret. There's a secret. 
How do you know? Because if you knew the secret, you would live a life of purpose like Paul. And yet so many people step into eternity. Can you imagine all of the unfulfilled dreams, all of the unfulfilled purpose that sits and lays underneath the ground in a graveyard? They didn't learn the secret. In what, every situation, not some, every. Whether it's a full stomach, whether it's empty, whether I'm plenty, whether it's little, here's the secret. He's gonna tell us, look at this. For I can do all things everything through Christ who gives me strength. Come on, isn't that awesome? That's awesome. <clears throat> now, I, I, here's something that I learned. Now, I know that scripture. I've known that scripture since I was a teenager. I used to go to prayer with my mom. I got journals that are 20 years old that I would go and pray. Mama, we go pray. We just call her Jesus's sister. Uh, she's She's at the house right now with my grandparents. Mama, come on, Jesus, sister. She was praying this morning. That's why the sound came on. I'm telling you guys. Thank you, Mama. I texted her. I said, Mama, I need you to pray. Uh, so, but she would take us to prayer. So I got journal for This is one of the scriptures that I learned, Philippians 4, 3. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we see that Paul is the one that writes this and we recognize that it's his mentality. So here's what we know about Paul. When it was hard, he said, I can. When it was easy, he said, I can. When, when things are going good, he said. When things are going bad, he said. So what happens with Paul is not just positive thinking. And I think that's where the challenge comes into our life. It's like, well, if I just think it, I can be it. Well, that's kind of true, but not always. It's got to be more than just thinking. It's got to be more than just knowing. You actually have to believe that God will. See, and I think we get this mentality. I know I cut you off. Come on, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> We get this mentality, well, I got it here, but just because you have it here doesn't mean you've got it here. And this is the transformation point. It's in your heart. It's like, God, I got it. I not only believe you can, but I believe you will, and I believe you want to do it for me. So that no matter what happens, listen, Paul's ready for adversity. Paul's ready to go through the struggles, the trials, no matter. So that's how come he could respond and not react. So many people live reactive through life. Things happen and you just react. So now you're a victim to your success. It's like you're a victim. Whoa! Where are you going? I don't know. I don't know. Stop. Stop making on me. No, no. Paul's like, listen, I got a, I've got a purpose. Yep. Come on, you can do it. Come on. That. He stayed steadfast, standing firm. Why? Because he responds, not reacts. Why? He had already made a quality decision that I can do it. Doesn't matter if it's easy, I can do it. Doesn't matter if it's hard, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the challenge is so many people, we make excuses. Oh, pastor, I wish I could, but I can't because... Come on, I can't because, right? See, most people are wishing for a positive life, but they're thinking about negative things. I wish, I wish I could go to school. I just, but I can't because I don't have the money. I, I wish I could start that business that you put inside of me, but I can't, why? Because I don't know how. 
right, right? So I, I wish I could tithe, but I can't because we don't make enough. Listen, that's the testimony of a non-tither. You'll never make enough. Why? Because what you make falls through the holes in your pockets. What the Bible talks about, the time to start tithing is when you don't have enough. Stop making excuses and put God first. Oh, I can't serve. Why not? Well, because I don't have any time. Huh, okay. Yeah. I, I can't go to church. Why? Well, because I'm busy. I mean, so I, you, you look at it and what we find is your reality will always be validated by the excuses that you make in your life. So you got one for everything that shapes your what You're like, that's not me. I, I'm going to make an excuse. Why? And God's trying to break that paradigm. God's trying to break that mentality. And the enemy just says, no, you can't because. No, you can't because. And God says, I can do all things. It's the only way to break the paradigm that's limiting your life. So paradigm, what is it? It's the unseen subconscious programming that runs in the background of your mind. Paradigm. So see, Paul had the right paradigm. It's not just about quoting scriptures. And this is what I really believe is going to be a life change for many Christians. I, I really believe there are Christians in this place that now we have a lot of brand new Christians. And man, you just you're learning something we all wish we would have learned a long time ago. But there are some of you been serving God a long time. And now you get towards this mid part of your life, maybe the latter part of your life, you start to get angry with God. You're like, God, I've been quoting scriptures my whole life since I've been saved. God, I've been praying. God, I've been speaking to you and nothing seems to happen. God, I declare, but it doesn't happen. God, I seem to pray and it doesn't happen. And Corona now has you questioning your, your salvation, your relationship, your power, your purpose. And now you're almost to the point of giving up. I want you to know, don't give up. That it's not just this prayer that we pray. It's not words that we say. It's a paradigm that we have. Your paradigm, they're the thoughts that we have that are things that we're not even aware of. We're, we're, we're not consciously aware of those thoughts. They're, they're subconscious. And so we see that a paradigm will trap you in the life that you're living. Because you are what you are today because of the paradigms that you have in your life. So the best way I could explain it is like this. Your mind is basically made up of two portions. Now, this is overly simplistic, but I think you'll get it. The first portion is your conscious mind. So these are the thoughts that you have that you're consciously aware of. And then your mind is this portion called the subconscious. These are thoughts that you have all throughout the day that you're not even aware of the fact that you're having them. They're the programming for the reality of your life. Let me, let me see if I can explain a little bit more. Your conscious mind would be like the screen on this iPhone. So whatever you see, that's your conscious mind. So, so okay, you're thinking something, okay, oh, I can see it, I can see it. Your subconscious, it really is more like that app that's running on your phone in the background that's not on the screen. How many got all those apps? My wife said, baby, my phone just keeps dying. Went to go look. She had like 10,000 apps. I'm like, for the love of all things right. She's like, well, I'm just so smart. I just multitask. I'm like, mm-hmm. So it's running in the background. You, it's not up on the screen, 
but it's, it's working behind the scenes. So our family, we have an app called uh, uh, Life360. Anybody got a Life360? It's a great app. It's for your family. We got it. So it's, it's an amazing app because this app, we all install on our phones. I got two boys, teenagers. They got cell phones. Uh, my two girls want cell phones, but the answer is no, when, never. You're never getting it. Why? Because you go keep your daddy out of jail because I'll kill any boy that texts you on it. So just keep me out of jail. That's all I'm saying. So I got my teenage boys and then me and Phyllis. And it's also because I know where they go. And this app, it's pretty cool because it'll send you notifications. So I may be working on my phone doing something and all of a sudden there's an alert. A notification comes up and it says Phyllis has arrived at the office or Caden has arrived at school. And I'm thinking, oh, that's awesome. So it's constantly sending me these messages and these notifications. And uh, so based on the message really determines what I do, right? I mean, okay, cool. So they've got this one thing, it's a crash alert. So if someone gets in a wreck, boom, you know, it's like it alerts your phone. Well, if I got that crash alert, I'm gonna say, hey man, call Phyllis, where's she at? I know where she at, I'll go find her. She can get in a wreck, thank God. But I'll go over and I'll find it. It determines what I'm gonna do in that moment. It can change the course of my actions. Well, same thing on the other response it has. It says, Phyllis has safely arrived. There's a notification. Well, you know, it'll say, Caden has safely arrived at Zach's. I'm like, cool, man, because I asked Caden, hey, where are you going? I'm going to Zach's. Awesome. Well, you know, nothing. I, just cool. It just validates what he said. But think about this. Caden goes to the Kayla sometimes when he says he's going to Zach's, and it says, Caden has safely arrived at the Kayla's. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, I'm like, hmm. All right. Hey, Caden, what you doing, man? So I begin to break my routine. I call it. Hey, buddy, how you doing? You over at Zach's? Oh, I'm over at Zach's. Oh, really? Oh, you're at Zach's? That's interesting. What are you doing? We're working out. Oh, you're working out, huh? Hmm. Okay, cool, man. I'll see you tonight. And how many know I'm going to have a conversation? So it changed. It's in, it stops what I'm doing. I mean, it works the other way, too. Don't think it's just like parents spying on kids. Uh, recently, well, not too recently, before COVID, uh, I was working and having a really rough day. So I said, I'm going to play hooky. Come on, somebody. You ever play hooky? I, I'm like, I'm going to play hooky for just a moment. So, I, so I'm like, man, I'm going to go. And I left and didn't think anything of it. Forgot all about the app. Sitting there, enjoying myself. All of a sudden, I get a text from my son, Caden. It's in the middle of school day. Now, Caden never texts me unless he needs something or something's wrong. So I'm like, what's going on? What's happening, Caden? Is everything all right? He said, yeah, Dad, everything's good. I said, are you in school? I'm in school. Are you alive? Yes. Are you breathing? Yes. You got all your fingers and toes? Yes, 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 yes. That's awesome. Well, then why are you texting me? He said, well, Dad, I'm texting. He said, why are you at the movies? <laughs> Busted. It's research, Caden. Research. <laughs> then I text him, don't tell your mama. <laughs> that whole movie was ruined. Why, I felt guilty, ashamed, like I'd done something wrong. Come on. I'm sure I was watching Paul the Disciple or something. I'm sure. <laughs> See, look, what happens is your paradigm operates a lot like that app. Subconsciously, you're not aware of it, but it constantly sends you messages. You're going throughout your life and boom, you're not good enough. Oh, I'm going to go over here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to start that business. Boom, you're not good enough. Boom, nobody loves you. Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to go join this mall. Boom, you're a failure. 
And so it's constantly sending these messages, and without realizing it, it's caused you to walk in the direction of your life. That's what paradigms do. They actually cause you to move one way or another in your life. They set the course for everything you do. And it's all subconscious. Most people are totally unaware of it. They're the filter with which you see life through. They're the filter with which you experience life. It's how you look at a situation. That's how come you can have two people have a common experience and walk away with totally different opinions of what just happened. Why? It's their paradigm. It's the filter that they have in their life. It's the thing. It's, it's the filter of all experiences in their life. And so your paradigm determines your reality. Not your reality. It's not what happens to you. No, it's the way you interpret what happens to you. And so we go through our life, and so Paul, it wasn't just a good thought, it was a paradigm. It's like, boom, I know my God loves me and that I can. If he put me in this situation, it's because he trusts me. Boom, Paul, you can do this. Boom, you're going to live and not die. Boom, you got this. Boom, God's with you. And so the whole time his messaging, the subconscious, comes to the scene and is validating his reality and the thoughts that he's thinking in his conscious mind. Set you free. Paradigm is the program that shapes your reality. Let, let, me, let, me, let me give you an illustration right here. Tell me what you see right here. Do the first picture. Okay. Okay, let me do this. Somebody tell me what you see. Okay, who sees half full? Who sees half empty? Raise your hand. Don't be scared. Don't be chicken. Come on, ain't nobody, ain't nobody pick on you. Come on. I know for a long time I saw it as half empty. Well, here's what I know. The way you see it determines what you do. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, if you see it as half full, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to enjoy your meal. You'll be like, man, I got more than enough. You're going to take a sip and feel good about your sip. Right, it creates your reality. If you see that glass is half empty, you're dissatisfied. Right. You sit there, you think, well, when's the waiter coming? How many of you ever sat there? Like, your glass only has like, you sip this much out. You're like, they don't even know it's half empty. It's like, lady, <laughs> sir, you took a sip. <laughs> right? But you're dissatisfied. Why? Because it's your paradigm. So you start to get antsy. I got, we got to fill it up. We got to fill it up. I got to do something. I got to do something. I got to do something. And so, so, so with the whole thing is now you begin to react based on your experience, based on what you're seeing. So it determines what you do. Your paradigm determines what you do. Let me show you another picture. Everybody check this picture out. What do you see? <laughs> Somebody saw the witch. <laughs> Good Lord. In church, pastor. Okay, how many, somebody tell me what you see. Who saw the old lady? Come on. Uh-huh. What's the other thing that you see? A young girl. Come on, somebody. Oh. Well, think about this. What you view determines what you do. Well, what do you mean? If you saw the old lady, you're throwing the picture out. Come on, somebody. She got a wart. She looks like the evil witch of the West. You don't even see it. That's all right. You ain't missing out. You see the good part. Don't even try to go to the dark side, Ashley. You stay on that good side. So do you see it? How many see the old lady? How many don't even see it? How many like I'm clueless? <laughs> Y'all lying. You know, you're clueless. Yeah. 
Just Google, young woman and old woman, illusion. So the old woman, what are you going to do? you go throw the painting out. Why? Because you don't want some old woman with a wart on her nose hanging on your wall. But if you see the young woman, what do you do? You're going to buy the painting. You'll put it up on your wall. You're going to frame it. You may even give it as a gift. You may say, I found the most beautiful painting and you're going to do something with it. So here's what I would say. When you look at the picture of your life, what do you see? Do you discard what God is working on or do you present it to him as a masterpiece? It's based on your paradigm. It controls your behavior. And it's, it's amazing because this is the one that I'm telling you, if there's anything I've ever found in my life, this is the greatest discovery I have found in my life. And it's just recently happened. That's why I'm preaching like a wild man. Because it set me free. Because I've been in church my whole life. But I realized there was some subconscious things that were happening that were trying to keep me from being the person that God's called me to be that was keeping me trapped up, locked away. And look, at we know that Paul, he, he, he broke his paradigm that he had before. He said, how do I know? Because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Basically, what you read in the New Testament is Paul's new paradigm. See, he was religious. He was the most religious of all. He did everything that all the Pharisees and Sadducees, all, they, he did it all. And yet it wasn't until he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that his life changed. But here's the challenge. He didn't stop on the road. Some of you, your growth started and stopped the day you were saved. You felt like, I got it. Jesus, take the wheel. Yeah, he'll take the wheel, but your car's got to be moving. You got to be driving. Some of you are sitting part. Jesus, you didn't take the will. He's like, you ain't even moving. What are you, you crazy? And so you say, well, how do I know? Look, look at a passage like this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind. Now, what does that mean? In the Greek, that word is habit of thought. Habit of thought. So here he's saying, look, let your habit of thought be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So whatever Jesus had, the, the habit of thought he had, look, you got to put that habit of thought in your own life. So in other words, he's saying, look, you got to change your paradigm. you got to change the way you see things because when you do, everything else in your life will change. That's how he could go through what he went through and then not destroy him, but it actually turned, he turned a shipwreck into revival. He allowed God to change him and transform him. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2, another verse that Paul wrote for us today. It says, don't conform to the pattern. What's the pattern? That's your old paradigm. Don't conform to the paradigms of this world. But look, it says, be transformed. Now that word transform means metamorphosis. That's the transformation. You were one thing, now I'm making you into a brand new thing. That would be like the metamorphosis of a monarch butterfly. It goes in as a caterpillar, but it comes out as a butterfly. You may not feel like you're much now, but when the Holy Spirit of God, the power of God gets on the inside of you, He will transform you from the inside out. You're not not even the same. Look, he said, by renewing your mind, renewing your mind. Whew, I'm out of breath. My God. Come on, Texans, y'all open up quickly. Your pastor needs to work out. 
Transformation, changing your old pattern, your old paradigm. Here's the deal, you're not, it's not about just being saved. It's not about just being born again, it's bigger than that. It's letting God transform you and that's a process. Here's something that most people don't even know. I didn't even learn this till I started studying how to get unstuck. Paul didn't immediately go out and start preaching the gospel. I know it'll shock you. Because the books, you know, that read the Bible is just consecutive. You're like, whoo, Paul, man, he got saved. He's on fire. That brother's out on his first missionary journey. Can I tell you? 14 years later. 14, from the time he was converted until the time he went on his first missionary journey. Luke, the author of Acts, only writes about him in like just a couple of verses. It wasn't until he goes into his first missionary journey that you begin to really see the story of Paul and how he impacts the world. And some of us as Christians, we get frustrated when God don't do something in six weeks or six months or one year. He's still working on you. And the problem that we see is that you've shortchanged the process. You bypassed it. You tried to go this way and God's leading you that way. God, I don't want the pain. I want the promise. You can't get the promise without walking through the pain. Why? Because he's working on you. You got paradigms that you didn't even know about that are causing you to defeat yourself. They're subconscious, but God knows they're there. And if you would submit to the process, we talked last week, you got to surrender. Surrender's hard. Why? Because you got to actually trust God. And so many Christians, you love God, you believe in God, but you don't trust God. Why? Because of the paradigm of the parents that let you down, the abuse of your childhood, the emotional impact of the scars of the pain of the past. And then we throw it all on God and say, you're just like them. No, baby, you ain't just like them. God is over and above and greater and more powerful and he's perfect. And he loves you. And I promise you, if you'll submit to his process, that dream that's on the inside of you will be unlocked. And there's no devil in hell that can stop the promise that God's going to birth. But you are not the one to determine how long it's going to take. I mean, I've been, I've been saved now since February 7, 2003. I was in church my whole life. You guys know the story. It's on drugs, partying, backslidden. You know, I've been in church. But looking back on it, I wasn't saved. I knew how to play church. I had religion. In a moment, in my house, in the bathroom, 1230 at night, God saved me. I wasn't looking for God, but God came looking for me. And I was thinking about it. it took Paul 14 years. I feel like I'm just now getting it. 17 years later. And I've been in ministry since 2005. 15 years in ministry. And some of us, we just, oh God, it's not fast enough. It's not quick. Here's the problem. If he gives you what you want, it'll destroy you. The Lord spoke to me just yesterday. I wrote it down. He said, I couldn't give you your dream because your dream would have made you instead of you making your dream. See, my dream needs me. I don't need my dream to make me significant. I don't need my dream to cause me to have value. I don't need my dream to make me feel good and loved by others. I am already loved. I am already valued. I am already. 
And some of you, you're like, you're pursuing the dream. That's because that dream is what validates you as a person. You got to get your validation from God. And then what happens is you stand up and you command that dream. You've got to submit to the purpose of God. Now, I, as the man of God, begin to make the dream that God has for me. Some of you, it's like the tail wagging the dog. You know, you got to get it right. And it just takes time. Look, think about Jesus, 30 years of living, three years of ministry. So do you want significance and impact? Or do you just want popularity? See, significance is eternal impact. I don't care, God, you use me for six months or a year. Just make it the biggest bang, the greatest impact. I was reminded of the statistic, and I'm closing right now. Eli, you can come out. I don't even know what time it is. Doesn't even matter. Come on, somebody. I know I just scared some of you. Like, oh, Jesus. I only have one closing. I don't have six. The National Science Foundation published an article. I told you about it last week. The average person has 12 to 60,000 thoughts in a day. I always just assumed the men were probably about 12. Ladies, probably a little bit more. And I knew that we had a lot of thoughts. But the thing that I didn't know, the thing that astounded me was, it says that of those thousands of thoughts, 80% of them are negative. 80%. This is just a study. It's not a biblical study. It's not a Christian study. 80% are negative. <clears throat> Think about that. So only 20% are positive. And here's what's astounded me even more, it said that 95% of the thoughts you think today are the same thoughts you thought yesterday. 95. That's that subconscious mind. Ding, you're not good enough. Ding, nobody loves you. Ding, you're a failure. Just all day going off. No, no, no. So we become chained to the pain of our past. Every time we try to stretch forth, God, I'm going to go. God, I'm going to do it. Boom. People last church, they hurt you. Boom. Don't trust people. Boom. Last pastor stole your money. Boom. Come on, right? So pastor gets up here, starts talking about being blasphemed. You, you, you got this. Boom. All pastors are crooks. Boom. All the church wants your money. Boom. Can't trust them. Well, who's letting those things go off? Look, look let me tell you this. Judge a tree by its fruit. That's the Bible said. Just let me just see the fruit. Go meet some of the people. Go look at some of the impact. Go see what's happening. God, did you call me here? You called me. I was part of a church for more than 20 years, and I promise you there wasn't everything about that church that I loved. But what God knew was that I needed what was in the soil of that church. So I had to stay planted. I'm going to stay planted. I'm going to stay committed. Why? Because what I needed was there. Sure, other people preach, but that's not, I needed that soil. Reminded of a story I read just recently. I'd heard it before, but I had never really studied the story. And it is really the story of elephants. And if you've ever looked at elephants, it's how do they keep them in captivity? How do they domesticate them? And it's a very fascinating article because elephants are huge creatures with massive
massive strength. I mean, they can tumble huge trees over with their tusk. They can actually destroy homes and totally knock homes down when they go crazy. I mean, these animals are majestic and they're powerful and they're strong. But when someone wants to domesticate an elephant, keep it in captivity, what they do is they take that elephant when it's very young and they tie it up with either rope or a chain and they tie it to a tree, just a little tree. But as a little elephant, they can't do anything. They're just, so they can't move and they frustrated. Well, if you, elephants are roamers by nature. They love to roam around and graze around and walk around. It's just part of who they are. It's their DNA. And so this little elephant just can't even move. This chain, this rope, it's tied to a small tree. And so they, they keep trying and trying and trying. And one article actually said for about 30 days, they'll try and try. And then it's a process of called breaking their will. I'm all right about it. Because I think the enemy's broken some of your wills. So just try and just want to get out. Just want to do what's inside of me. It's part of who they are. It's, it's in their DNA. So eventually that little elephant will stop fighting. Be submissive. It'll get over and it just stop. It quits. There's something inside that shuts down, and the paradigm of that elephant is changed forever. And for the rest of the elephant's life, it'll never try to break free. No matter how big the elephant is, no matter how old it is, be a huge elephant. Have you ever seen them? They got these little bitty ropes tied to this little bitty tree. And that big elephant, because of its paradigm that was shaped in a moment when it was little, it will never try to break free from that little bitty tree that now has it bound. That big old elephant could take it, run with it. It could kill anything, be anything. And yet it is submissive to a little bitty chain. All because of past trauma. And I'm going to talk about this next weekend. There's two ways that your subconscious is, is, is born. Your paradigm. I'm going to talk. you got to come back next week. So the trauma of the past. And here's what I think. I, I, here's what I know. I got giants in this place. I got champions in this place watching here, a part of this church, God's called you. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in this world. First John 4, 4 says. And, and so here we see. Ah, oh, can't do it. Why? Because of trauma. The chain of past pain that the enemy wrapped. Look, so you were a defenseless child when you were abused. And now you're living with the abuse as an adult. And you've not done anything about it because you didn't realize there was a subconscious program that was going on in your mind. You thought, well, I'll just forget about it. It's got to be more than just forget about it. There's some things that have to happen. But if you'll address that paradigm, it'll free you. You'll be the champion that's already on the inside. Here, here's, here's, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how, how do you know if I'm stuck in a paradigm? Talk about it next week. I know this, that if you're not living up to your full potential, you're limiting yourself. If you're not living your best life, oh, pastor, no, no. I'm talking the best life with significance, not an easy life, not a problem-free life, but your life of significance, then I promise you there is a paradigm that's come into your life that is sabotaging the work that God wants to do. What are you going to do about it? Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. 1 John 5, 4 says, he who is born of God overcomes the world. 
Think about that. Born of God. You're a Christian? You're born of God. So why is the world overcoming you? Father, I pray over every person in this place. God, I'm asking you, do the miracle of surgery in our hearts. God, some people came here right now today and they've recognized there's this subconscious programming that has sabotaged their lives. Now, Lord, what I'm asking you to do is today just stir that fire inside of them. Lord, to go and to have a conversation with you. Lord, for them to go back and think about the moments of pain that they had in their past. Lord, and then all of that, God, we give to you. God, every moment, every tragedy, every instance that the enemy, he wrapped a chain around our legs. And it's not only when we're young, but even as we're old, God, some, someone here, their husband, their wife left them. Chain trauma kids don't want to talk to you best friend betrayed you your boss who you were loyal to got rid of you I mean whatever it is there's some trauma that has happened in your life there's paradigms that have been taking place in your life and God I'm asking you this week Lord help us to be aware Lord just as you were helping me to be aware of the paradigms that I've grown up with and God, when we come back next week, we're going to give them to you. God, we're going, to, we're going to find out how you say to deal with it. And Lord, this is what I'm asking you. Would you release your people to become who they already are? It's not who they will be. They are that now. And Father, I thank you for your power, your grace. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. There's some of you here right now, and I feel this very strongly. Maybe you're watching online. You don't have a relationship with God. You know, I'm talking about programming, and you know it ain't God's program because you haven't had a relationship with Him. You've never surrendered your life to Him. You've never given Him everything. You've never gone all in. I want you to know this is the moment that God brought you to. Just like for me, I don't care how you tuned in. I don't care how you got here. You may not have been looking for God, but I want you to know God's come looking for you. And I love the passage of the prodigal son. He's in the pig pen. He takes his inheritance. He squanders it and finds himself in the lowest of low positions, in the filthiest of, of dirty masses. And it says in the Bible, it says he came to himself. I believe that's happening right now. You're coming to yourself. God, I realize you have more. God, I realize I've, I've rebelled. God, I realize I took control of my life and I've made a mess. I've realized, God, I'm in a moment. I want to surrender. God, I'm in a moment. I want to give it all to you. God, I'm in a moment. Would you save me? If that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You say, I'm ready. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. Would you do this, though, before I pray? Would you just raise your hand? You say, Pastor, that's me. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, church, tell them how proud you are. Come on, amazing. Okay, pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of all of my sin. I turn away from my old life. I ask you to be my Lord right now. And I receive your free gift of salvation. Fill me with faith. Fill me with power. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.